Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Phoenix, Arizona, it's time for Phoenix Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Hello and welcome to Phoenix Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Entrepreneurial Center, Max 6, right here in Tempe, Arizona, where we help build businesses and connect you with the right people. I am very excited to invite back Elena Thornton, who is my co-host today. We don't give that spot away easily. You know that, don't you? Thank you, Karen. I'm just honored. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Elena is the founder and CEO with Arizona Consortium for the Arts, in addition to being an incredible photographer with her friend, partner, and husband, Jim, uh, who's out in the wings listening today. Yes, he is. We got to have Elena and Jim on with us just a couple of weeks ago, and she mentioned to us this star-studded team, Dr. Brenda Combs and Sandra Q, and really thought enough of us here at Business Radio X to invite the two of you on so that you could share your story and your success and how you are inspiring others. So that's really how we created this opportunity. And I said to Elena, well, then you need to come back and co-host if you're going to bring us such great people. So on that note, um, I would like to introduce you to Dr. Brenda Combs. She is the Ambassador of Inspiration. That's an incredible title. Thank you very much. I earned it, too. I can't wait to hear your story. I know we're going to get into that in just a moment. And you've brought Sandra Q with you. She's the executive director of BRC Media Group. Sandra, thank you so much for joining us as well. Thank you for having me. I'm curious about how the two of you connected. So Sandra handles a lot of things for you as an executive director. She's one of your strong teammates. Is that right? She handles all things Brenda. I love that. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Drink your water. Contracts. (laughs) Got it. Everything. All right. Everything. And how long have you two been teaming up together? Well, um, I'm going to say probably from the day we met uh, around 20 years ago. 20 plus years. Yeah. That's a long time. Yes. Yeah. I love hearing that. Okay. So let's back it up a bit. Who is Dr. Brenda Combs? How is it that you've come to have the title around Ambassador of Inspiration? And we're just gonna we're just gonna launch into a conversation. And Elena, you know me, I talk a lot. No, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm a better perfect. listener than I'm a talker. I want you to jump in and ask whatever questions you have on your mind and heart as well. I'm sure I'm gonna interject um, <laughs> when Dr. Brenda Combs will mention some things, and I'll say, "Hello." <laughs> good, good. All right, I'm sitting back and relaxing. Tell us. Yes. So, um, my journey to becoming Dr. Brenda Combs starts really when I was five. I had a very traumatic experience in kindergarten uh, with discrimination, and it put me in a position to not like myself, not love myself, and to feel alone. And because of that, I learned how to dig deep within myself and create stories. So I started journaling and writing at a young age, taught myself how to type when I was eight. My mother bought a typewriter and said, here you go. And I figured it out and learned how to type. And I just started writing stories and songs, started playing the piano when I was five. I wrote my first song when I was eight. I wrote little skits for my church. And uh, when I got to high school, I felt like a misfit. And I overheard some girls talking one day about graduating from high school early. And I thought, oh, that's the key. I need to graduate from high school early, go to college, and I'll fit in. So I went to summer school, got all of my credits, graduated a year before my graduating class and started college. And I soon realized I was still a misfit because I didn't fit in with that college group either because they were older. I was a teenager. But I did 
fit in with that one group of college students that I think everyone can relate to, the party crowd. (laughs) Because they don't discriminate. They welcome you with open arms. They don't care your background, where you came from, who you are. And I started partying with them. And I realized, you know, in addition to being a misfit, I didn't really know how to party because these girls could party and get up and go to class the next day, and I couldn't. So I started, like, missing class and then dropping classes and pretty soon dropped out of school. And so I did kind of what a lot of people do when they don't know what they want to be when they grow up. I just got a job and an apartment and was just working and paying bills and some semi-partying. But my life changed when I came home from work one day to my apartment and my boyfriend was there and he was with another friend and they were smoking something and I didn't know what it was. I had never seen anything like this before and it turned out to be cocaine. And they were like, hey, you want to try this? And, you know, being the misfit that I was who wanted to fit in, who wanted friends, who wanted people to like her, I was like, yeah, of course. And I took a hit of it and I can honestly say I was addicted from that moment because the high took everything away. It took away my problems. It took away the pain. I felt like I fit in and I didn't feel like a misfit anymore. So, of course, that feeling made me feel so good. I wanted to do it again and again and again and again. Before too long, I lost my apartment. I was sleeping in my car, couch surfing, and lost several jobs. And I got a job at Village Inn, and I was like, well, this is the perfect job because I can make tips every day, and I can leave here, go to the dope house, buy the cocaine, smoke it, and it's going to take my problems away. And as long as I was high, I felt great. But the moment the high went away, I felt horrible horrible. I felt worse than before. And that's the problem with addiction. You know, as you are on that high, you feel on top of the world, but the moment it goes away, you're literally below the earth. So I played this game of trying to be a functional drug addict. And eventually I was going back and forth, working at Village Inn, going to the dope house, getting high, going back to Village Inn. And then one day I went to the dope house and never left. And that led me to really being a total 100% crackhead, full-fledged drug addict. And uh, I eventually ended up in Phoenix. I ended up underneath the 7th Avenue Bridge in downtown Phoenix, down in the zone, where you, I'm sure you've seen pictures of the zone today. It's not too much different from when I was down there, but it ended up being 10 years of being homeless, living underneath that bridge in my cardboard condominium. The more problems I had, the more I had to continue using. So in that 10-year time frame, I was raped several times. I was beaten, left for dead, stabbed with a broken beer bottle. I was burned with cigarettes because I took drugs from the dope man that I couldn't pay him back. I was hit by a car. I overdosed several times. And, of course, people like me, when we don't love ourselves, I tried to commit suicide. I tried to commit suicide multiple times, cutting myself. I think probably the worst one was I tried to hang myself. The rope broke. I took a bottle of sleeping pills and a bottle of Demerol, and I woke up the next morning. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't even do this right. Like, there's no hope for me. 
And so the last night that I was raped and left for dead, I woke up in an alley on a couch. And I realized when I finally opened my eyes that someone had stolen the shoes off of my feet as I lay on this couch next to a dying cat. And I looked around the environment I was in, and I was like, there was a group of guys at the end of the alley, and I knew that I was either going to be beaten and raped or, or prostituted out, sex trafficked, or I needed to try and escape. But I had no shoes on. And like, who would take shoes off of a homeless drug addict? Probably another homeless drug addict. The problem was it was 115 degrees outside that day, and drug addicts, we think we're smarter than the police. So we had littered the alley with like cinder blocks and broken beer bottles and oh, syringes goodness. because with the cinder blocks, the police aren't able to drive through the alley. But nor can you walk through But it. nor can you walk with all of this broken glass and syringes and condoms and just tree branches and pieces of couches and refrigerators. And so I made the decision... I'm going to have to walk through this alley because I'm certainly not going back this way where those guys are. So by the time I made it to the street, my feet were already cut, burned, blistered, and I had about a mile to walk to get down to the park where the homeless were. And it was excruciating pain. By the time I made it to the corner of where the park was at, some of my friends saw me. By this time, I was crawling because I couldn't stand anymore. They carried me to the park, and I passed out. And this is where my change comes in. When I woke up, I looked around the environment that I was in, and I'm looking at homeless people, senior citizens, children, teenagers, veterans, men, women, of all nationalities, all colors, all different types of people, because homelessness and addiction does not discriminate. So I'm amongst, there was probably 500 people or so in that area Mm -hmm. for the first time. In 10 years, I simply said, God, I cannot, I can't do this anymore. You're going to have to take this away from me or you're going to have to take me because I can't do it. I cannot go another moment like this. And literally within seconds, I felt a cool breeze of wind blowing on my skin. And I honestly feel like it was the breath of God saying, Brenda, I hear you and I got you. And I immediately told everyone that was in hearing distance, I'm going to go turn myself in because I had absconded. And I was like, I'm going to go turn myself into my PO. I'm going to go to prison. I'm going to do my time. Then I'm going to go back home, make amends with my family, and then I'm going to go to school. And, and let me just add this. In that 10-year time frame of being homeless, did I say my prayers? Yes. But it was more like, oh, God, please don't let me go to jail today. <laughs> please let the dope man give me dope with no money, and I don't have to have perform a sexual favor to get it. Like, please, God, if you let me do this, I promise, if, if you do this for me, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to turn myself in. I'm going to get to rehab. I'm going to go home, make amends to my family, and go to school. Well, many never, times, a career, never a complete surrender is the never, difference that I'm hearing. Because yeah. there were times when I got pulled over and, like, the police computer system was down and they couldn't verify who I was. So I got away. But was I going to go turn myself in, go to rehab, go back home, make amends to my family, and go to school? No. I continued to get high and run the streets. But on this day, I went... And I turned myself in, and the biggest miracle that could have ever happened took place with my PO. I turn my, I get to the office. 
I smell. I'm dirty. You know, I haven't brushed my teeth, taken a shower in probably a month, three weeks to a month. I'm dirty. She welcomes me in, shakes my hand, has me take a seat in her office. Her face is smiling. She's, well, she actually looks sad, but she wasn't like holding her nose from the smell. She didn't make me feel less than. And she looked me in the eye and she said, Brenda Combs, I don't know how to explain it, but there's something different about you. I see something in you, and I'm going to give you another opportunity to turn your life around. Putting you in prison is not going to benefit you or society because I see something in you. And so she told me that I had to take this opportunity or her immediate supervisor was going to go above her head and sign the warrant, and I would be going to prison. So she gave me a resource book. She opened it, and I just put my finger down without looking, and I said, let's call this one. The place that I went to, this was my 13th program, because by this time I had been, you know, homeless for 10 years. So, of course, I'd been in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, in and out of halfway houses, in and out of programs, because I wasn't ready. And uh, this place was called Center for Healing, because I think that God knew that I needed to be healed. And uh, so I went to this place, and it was no different than the other 12 places I had went. You know, the decor was different. Yeah, the people that worked there were different, but the basic program, a basic 12-step program is the same no matter where you go in the world. The difference was I was finally ready to listen and take some suggestions. That's the only difference. Because I had been in enough programs, I could have taught the program myself. Because, you know, you, you've been through one, you go through 12, you've heard it all. And what the other thing that stood out to me was I looked at the people running this program, and they had something that I didn't have. They looked to be happy, and they seemed to be at peace. And I lacked both of those things. So I finally decided, hey, I'm going to take everything that they tell me and I'm going to do it whether I like it or not. And I'm going to tell you, I did not like it. <laughs> I didn't like following the rules. I didn't like sometimes my roommate that I had. I did um, 18 months in my final program. And I didn't like it mo many, most of the time. But I decided that the only way that I was going to recover was I was going to have to do things differently, and I was going to have to listen and take suggestions. So I made it through that program, and I got back out into society, and it was hard. The day that I left and went into the halfway house, I only had the clothes on my back and a Social Security card. I had no food. I had no hygiene, no toilet paper, no toothpaste, no clothes. It was hard. And I remember thinking to myself, no wonder so many people relapse because it's really difficult when you leave a program and they put you back in society. But I had no tools to help me get back into society to be successful. So I remember the first month of me really, I mean, honest to God, being hungry, starving. I remember they sent me to get a food box and it had like sauerkraut and <laughs> canned meat. And I mean, it was not substantial, healthy food. And I still felt like a misfit. So I also felt uncomfortable asking my roommates in the halfway house for food because they were in no more of a better position than I was. 
So it was a struggle, you know, not having hygiene and just still feeling like a misfit. And I and I I did have it in my mind like God, it'd be so much easier to just go down to the zone, get a five dollar rock, turn that into sixty dollars, and then flip that for another two hundred, get a hotel room, go to church's chicken, get a two piece and a biscuit for ninety nine cents. I mean, <laughs> and, in then, my and mind, then maybe start over tomorrow, and and start over the next day. But I also knew that if I went down there, there's no way that I would not get high, even after eighteen months. I just knew that I wasn't ready. So I got a job at Pick and Save, which is kind of like big lots. And uh, slowly but surely, you know, I was able to get more food and some hygiene items. And I went to Interfaith where I was able to get about seven changes of clothing. And I made my way back into society. And then one day something told me to go back to the zone and to look for people who had genuinely helped me, like Pops and Mama Pam and Bill Turk. These are older OGs, you know, who kind of coached me on how to live as a homeless woman. And I ran into Pops, and Pops told me he was hungry. So I went to church's chicken, and I got him a two-piece and a biscuit, and I went around the corner to the 99-cent store and got a toothbrush and toothpaste and some deodorant and some soap and a little backpack. And I took it to him. And I sat in the dirt with him as he ate this two-piece and a biscuit. And he was like, you know, baby, I'm so proud of you. And, you know, um, when you come back, you think you could bring me some shoes? And I was like, yeah, I'll come back and see you. So two weeks later, when I got paid, I went, I was prepared. I went and got a a, a box of chicken from Church's Chicken. I think maybe it was like 12 pieces for $5 and a soda. And I went to the Goodwill and I got him some shoes and some clothes and I found him and we sat on the railroad track as he ate and other people came and they were like, God, Brenda, when you come back, can you bring me some shoes? And I was like, you know, okay. And I was like, hey, if you guys want to get clean, I, I can take you to a place. And I'm going to say maybe a few months after that, is when I started thinking, my God, uh, I'm, I'm almost two years clean. If, if I can do it, maybe I can help someone else do it. And the idea came to me to start a nonprofit called Finding My Shoes. That was 23 years ago. Um, I started collecting backpacks with, out of what I could afford. Eventually, I connected with a church and they started helping me, and slowly but surely, we started getting people, you know, food and hygiene items. At one point while I was down in the zone, someone came up to me, and they said, do you remember Tony? And I said, yeah. And they were like, well, he just got out of prison, and he's sitting over there in the dirt. And so I went over there, and I saw him sitting in the dirt. He'd been homeless for 20 years. He had did five years in prison. We were friends. We used to mob and rob together. <laughs> but not boyfriend and girlfriend, but we would, we would mob and rob. And so when I saw him, typically I would get out, put people in my car, take them to rehab or detox. But when I saw him, I don't know, something told me not to do anything. And we had eye-to-eye contact, and I started crying. And he covered his face, and I drove off. That night, he went into rehab to sort of jump ahead in the story. Today, we're married. (laughs) (laughs) I was kind of waiting for that. (laughs) Today, we're married, but um, 
But to backtrack, while I was doing the finding my shoes shoes thing, I ended up marrying a man that I met in rehab. And 45 days after we got married, he relapsed. I stayed clean. The more he relapsed and the cleaner I stayed, the more difficult the relationship got. And just when I was on the verge of saying, okay, I can't do this. I'm going to divorce him. I'm going to leave. Well, but of course, the Lord had other plans. I found out I was pregnant. I had a decision to make because it was like, okay, I'm already a statistic. I'm a black woman with a criminal record who used to be a homeless drug addict with no education. Now I'm pregnant, going through a divorce, and getting ready to move into the projects. I mean, like, I need every level of statistics (laughs) that there are out there. When I had my son, I was five years clean, and my son suffered a massive stroke at birth. He has permanent brain damage in the left cortex part of his brain. He couldn't swallow. Uh, His hands were paralyzed. And the doctors treated me like a homeless drug woman, drug addict with no education, living in the projects, and told me that I'd be better off to put him in some sort of institution because of my lack of education, I wouldn't be able to take care of him. And so I said, well, is he going to live? And they said, yeah, he'll live, but he's not going to have any type of quality of life. And I said, well, then I'm going to take care of him. And so I knew then the only way and the only opportunity and chance that I had and that my son had was for me to get an education. So for the next seven years, seven, I worked two and three jobs. I got my undergrad in human services in two years. I then transferred from the University of Phoenix to GCU, and I started their master's program, which is a three-year program. After I completed my first class, I was like, you know, the hardest degree I ever got was the undergrad because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what the expectations are. But once I made it through that, I was like, shoot, the master's is going to be a piece of cake. So I contacted my counselor and I kind of shared with her my story. And I was like, you know, I think, I know this probably sounds crazy, but I said, I kind of can see myself getting the master's and going into like a doctorate program. Um, I said, but, I, but I'm an older mom, so I want to do this before I'm 50. So can I triple up on my classes? And so <laughs> I know. I, I also realized then I was ADHD. They let me triple up on my classes. I started my master's, which is a three-year program, on January 5th, and I completed my master's on December 24th. Wow. Merry <laughs> Christmas to me. And mm-hmm. that got the attention of the White House. So I don't know if you know this part of the story. I don't don't know. I'm learning as we're going. So keep going. I shared a little bit, but (laughs) this is fascinating. Well, at my master's graduation, I was honored by former First Lady Laura Bush and President George W. Bush, naming me Distinguished Teacher of the Year. A week later, I appeared on CNN Heroes uh, Story or show with the president and CEO of Grand Canyon University, Mm -hmm. And, of course, I had no clue what was coming next, but they surprised me with a full-ride scholarship to be the first person to enroll in their brand-new doctoral program. So I kind of broke history being the first person, being a female, being a woman of color who used to be a homeless drug addict, and I'm the first person in this program. Uh, Shortly thereafter, I appeared on the Today Show, the Tom Bohemian Show. I got to do Oprah Radio a couple of times. And three years later, I graduated in the first graduating class of doctors from Grand Canyon University, completing my 
doctorate before I turned 50. You did it. You did it. And what happened to Tony? And Tony, after he saw me on the Today Show or CNN, contacted me and said, you know, you've inspired me. Like, if you can do it, maybe I can do it. And I talked him into going into school. And when I um, completed my doctorate, he completed his master's, and we graduated together on the same day, walking across the stage together, two homeless drug addicts, former homeless drug addicts getting higher education degrees together. And uh, by this time, I had partnered with Habitat for Humanity, and I got my first home. I went from being homeless to being a homeowner. And um, the university, GCU, gave me the opportunity to live on campus, which to me, I thought was an amazing opportunity for me and my son. So I moved out of my house and turned it into a sober living house for women. And we lived on campus in a tiny apartment, and I turned my three-bedroom, two-bath house into a sober living house for women, and that's how we started making things better sober living. And uh, fast forward, today we have seven sober living houses that are licensed and certified by Arizona Department of Health Services called Making Things Better Sober Living. We have four houses for men, three houses for women. We actually have three more houses that we're working on getting licensed and certified before the end of this year. And then in March, my husband and our business partner, Rod, we opened our first behavioral health clinic called Amana Health. And it is in the heart of Maryville on the west side that is so desperately polluted with fentanyl and opioids and crystal meth and despair and people who have no hope. So we're in the middle of hopelessness, but we're a bright light because we believe that we are providing a clean, safe, stable, sober environment that helps people transition back into society. Um, But let me segue back. When I first started my bachelor's degree, and I'm a single mom living in the projects, school was hard, and I was working two jobs at that time, two jobs. And uh, one of my jobs, I got, I got hired <laughs> to be a school teacher because the teacher who ran the daycare that my son was in because he had special needs at that time, she told me that, Brenda, I see something in you, and I think that you'd be an amazing teacher, and I will pay for some of your classes if you go back to school. So I started to go back to school. She hired me as I was still getting my degree. And you don't have to have an education degree, but you do have to have a bachelor's degree. But I did take education courses, even though my degree is human services. My master's is in special education. And so I had these really cute kids who loved me and wanted to always come home with me because I incorporated music and singing in my class. And they happen to be her children. And so uh, yeah, they, always, all comes they always wanted to come home with me. 
So we met, and she let her kids come to my home, and then I needed a babysitter many times to get work done, so she would then watch Michael, and that's how we became friends. But she was kind of cautious about (laughs) this Miss Brenda person that her kids are glowing about. (laughs) Yeah, I was very, I mean, coming from a law enforcement background, she did, of course, come up front when she, when she became our teacher. She was like, I am you know, a felon and everything like that. And she get, she she basically told each one of us at our parent-teacher conference. And I was just like, what? You know, but, you know. Not, not <laughs> what you're of, expecting to hear. No. Kind of a little apprehensive. But then again, I was like, okay. But at the time, I was actually leaving a domestic violence situation. So I was just like, whatever. It's okay as long as we're in school, you know. You know, because I was just not in the right mindset. And I was just like, okay, but my kids... You know, would come home every day, Miss Brenda this, Miss Brenda that, <laughs> singing all these songs. And I'm just like, why are you so happy? You know, <laughs> because, you know, when in, I was in a depressive mode and I was just like, not want to hear it. I was just like, <laughs> and they were just so excited. Can't wait to get back to school. And then finally, I met her, like really met her. And she just hugged me and that was it. <sighs> and I was just like, Wow okay, this this Miss Brenda is really something, you know, it was gravitating. So, and then she, I met her son and he was just, he hugged me. And it was just, and she was just like, what? He like never Doesn't goes to people, you know? Yeah. And he just loved my son. They were kind of the same age. Mm-hmm. And, and she just she like, she just loved your son and da, 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 da. So like, and they were just like, can we go to Miss Brenda's? I was like, no, not yet. You know, because I was like, <laughs> let me just, you know, so you know, because it just took a little time for me to feel comfortable because I never really let my kids go anywhere with anybody. <laughs> but yeah, as time went on, like then again, we were just like swapping because I knew she, she you know, she was always like in the books, whatever, and studying, whatever. So then it became like just natural. Like we would actually do things together mm-hmm. and she would be studying and I would be watching them. So, you know, going to the park or going to the pool. And then I also coached um, softball and baseball. And I would be like, hey, Michael, want to come to, you know, one of the games or whatever. And so she was like, yeah, go ahead. So, you know, it was really and then it was also really for me because I have five kids. So she'd be like, yeah, I'll take your kids. This would, you know, so she was like so excited because there were five of them to occupy Michael. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was, Mutually, a, it was a win-win. Yeah, for sure. And, and a very deep but slightly skeptical friendship from the very beginning. Yeah. But yeah. we really became sisters after that because, I mean, literally, like, she'd be like, hey, I'm going to go take the kids to the pool. Can Michael come? And I was like, well, I need to study. And she was like, okay, well, you study. I mean, we'd be there together, yeah. but I would be studying, and I knew that Michael was safe. And then there were times when she was like, you know, oh, I can't take it. I need a break. And I was like, okay, bring the <laughs> kids turn. over. because and, and she lived in the projects. I lived in the projects. So we kind of understood that kind of lifestyle and community. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just really helped each other out. And then as I started my nonprofit, she would have the kids come and they would make hygiene kits and we'd go out in the community and we just really became sisters. Yeah for I'm going to say maybe the next 15 years it was all, it was all volunteer we really didn't yeah. look at it as a business it was just like she was like hey do you need help doing this or you need help doing that i mean we just 
connected. God just brought us together on that level so that when it really turned to like, hey, this is actually a business, well, okay, then uh, yeah. well, then how do we make this legitimate <laughs> and move forward? So it was never a question of who's going to be the director, who's the person that I trust with my social security number, my passport, <laughs> uh, my the account child. information, and not to mention my yeah. child. Um, yeah. But I trusted her with everything and vice versa. And so we've always been there for each other. And it's just, it's, there's like no question, like, and when I we communicate and talk every day, all day, through text, through instant messenger, through phone calls, we travel together. I mean, we trust each other a hundred percent. I'm reminiscing on our conversation with Elena and Jim just again a couple of weeks ago, and that that partnership, that friendship, that camaraderie that that goes how many years it's back? It's almost forty three. Forty three years. Not everybody is blessed with these opportunities to have someone yeah. special. Yeah, in their life like this. So I really admire and am inspired by not only your story, but of course the friendship. Do you mind sharing a little bit about your, um, you said police back background or legal background? What? Yeah. What if well, yeah. Yeah, I worked in forensics. Goodness. So yeah. And then, <laughs> but I, at the time that I met her, I was actually leaving that genre of work. So, and I started working for, um, it was kind of, it was weird how that worked out. But what <laughs> happened is I co- I was coaching softball, club softball, which is highly competitive. And the person that we had beaten during a tournament was actually a guy that coached and also was a celebrity that um, was on Fox Sports. So he actually was like really mad that we won, but he was like really intrigued by my coaching style. And um, he continued to like pursue, like pick my brain, I guess. And when it was asking me all these different questions and about the, after the game and during the tournament. And then one day he was just like, what do you do for work? And I'm like, well, I'm leaving this job, you know, I'm looking for something. And he's like, well, I have a studio in Scottsdale and then I also train athletes and da, 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 all this different stuff. And he was just like, would you like to come and maybe interview for a job? I'm looking for a receptionist and somebody kind of to run the front office. And I was like, sure. How much does it pay, though? And then he was like, <laughs> told me how much. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. So I went and he hired me. So I became like his receptionist front office person. But he was kind of like in the elementary stages of starting the business and so, like, the startup or whatever. But as I started there the first year, I literally, like, took over. And he was just like, wow, I didn't realize how much experience you've had, you know, or had. And I go, well, it's based, I'm a mom of five, so I have good organizational <laughs> skills, critical thinking, you know, all the different things that you do, you know, as a coach, as a mom, and having to really, like, everything. Figure it out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and also working with you know, law enforcement and everything like that, you know, you just kind of know. And he didn't realize I had that background, but, you know, I didn't never put it on there. I put on kind of like all the other stuff I did prior to that. But as we went on, he started a show on Fox Sports. And, you know, so I started to become the content writer. Then I became the sports director. And then I became the senior director of operations for (laughs) his whole everything. So basically, like kind of what I do for her, I did for him. So yeah, he trusted me with everything. <laughs> so I, yeah, I did everything for him from, you know, managing his household, man, you know, because he had a daughter, everything for her, his, you know, his transportation, his 
itineraries, everything. Pretty much he was a motivational speaker. He also traveled cross-country, international, everywhere. So, like, I did everything for him, like, in that aspect. Incredible. And then he would also loan me out to his friends. So I would do local celebrities and athletes. So I started doing stuff for them and then also creating like clinics and, you know, different type of things they did. And then they, they had nonprofit organization that started to, you know, that's when they started building that stuff up. Local celebrities here and also, you know, all, all over the country basically were starting to do local, um, nonprofit organizations, tax write-off basically. <laughs> but so I started to help them with that, you know, and helping them to, you know, all the different events that they would have. So that's kind of where it took off. And I worked there, gosh, for so long. I can't even, I don't even know. <laughs> and then he decided, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> You're out of you a know? job. Yeah. So I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So I ended up working for Comcast NBC Sports and I kind of did the same, pretty much the same thing. Yeah. 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 So, and then I'm still, but COVID happened. And then now I, because they stopped cease production on all of, you know, basically everything going on. Right. So I started working in the finance department. And so that's basically what I had been doing. Incredible. And yeah. So I started, she asked me to help her. Well, basically what it was, she shared with me, oh, I'm doing this speaking engagement. And she showed me the paperwork and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> Hold up. Some zeros are missing, right? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. wait. I was like, this, wait, no. I'm like, this is not. And I looked at the website to see how much, like, comparative, like, of how much the other speakers were getting paid. Interesting. And I said, this is not enough for you. Mm -hmm. And she goes, well, that's kind of like what other, I go, no. I'm like, let me call them <laughs> because you deserve way more than that. <laughs> There's just no way. I mean, your story is so inspiring. You see me crying earlier. And so unique. Every time I've heard her story probably a hundred million times. So have I. But I always cry. It just yeah. gets me every time. Yeah. I mean, especially when she talks about Michael and just everything she's been through. It's just so heart wrenching. Like I, she's so strong. Like I don't even. I couldn't. But like. Yeah, it's just it, it, it's just unimaginable what she had to go through and everything she's been through to get where she is. And she's very deserving of it. So, like, I'm like, no, you deserve to ha get paid a lot more. So I'm like, from now on, I'm negotiating every speaking engagement that you have, and you're going to get paid way more than this. And, and I said, like, okay, <laughs> yes, because I'm not good at that. But she is. Yeah. She's so, a beast when it comes to my contract. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just like that, you know, and they come back and they're like, well, we'll do. I'm like, no, that's unacceptable. Then, you know, maybe you need to select somebody else because, you know, but I feel like she's completely and I'll send them like clips and I'll send them so different. see who they're getting. Yeah. Right? And yeah. recommendations. I'll be like, OK, well, she spoke at the FBI in Quantico and yeah. this is what they had to say about her. So let me tell you something. This is like one of the best you know, elite organizations in the nation. And if they are willing to pay this top dollar for her, then then she's worth it. Yeah. So I don't see why, you know. <laughs> yeah, the, FBI, the FBI gig was a shock to my soul because I'm thinking, how do I, I, I was a homeless drug addict for 10 years. 
with a criminal record, and yet I got FBI clearance to go and speak Mm -hmm. to the graduating cadets graduating from Mm -hmm. the FBI. I mean, that is when I felt, it wasn't until that moment, it wasn't because of like Laura Bush or CNN, it was at that moment when I was like, I've made it. Exactly. Yeah, I, you're right. I do deserve to get paid. Yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to share is that my son, Michael, did make a full recovery from what? his stroke. Yes. Uh, when He's he was a basketball star. When he was six years yeah. old, what? he made a full recovery yeah. from his stroke. He became an ambassador for the American Pediatric Stroke Association as being the youngest person to make a full recovery from his stroke. Mm-hmm. And when he was 13 years old, he brought home four homeless boys, one who just was not necessarily homeless but needed some guidance and a place to stay. And, and love. Then, and love. Mm-hmm. And, an, and an international student from Trinidad. So I ended up becoming a mom of six boys in total uh, at the age yeah. of 13. Two are from Ethiopia. One is from Eritrea. One is from Trinidad. And one is from Chicago. And we became this big family. I ended up going back and getting pops um, off of the streets. Mm-hmm. And pops lived with us uh, for almost 15 years. Um, he died during COVID, but not from COVID. But um, he called me one day and said, baby girl, can I come live with you? I don't want to be down here anymore. And I said, okay, I'm coming to get you. He was living at Cass and I went and picked him up. And then I decided, um, I had written this play that I had did at my church and the church thought it was kind of funny. So I thought, well, maybe I can do this play for the community, but I need some help. And I had met Jim and Elena, and I just saw how beautiful work that they did. And they, too, were not getting paid. And I went to Elena, and I said, Elena, I said, I've got this idea. I have no money to pay you right now. But when the Lord blesses me, I promise you that I will bless you if you if you want to take this ride. Mm-hmm. So we started in my garage. It was probably 100 degrees in there, if not more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> With a green screen, trying to take pictures and, and, stuff. and trying to do some marketing yeah. stuff. And then we went to the Biltmore. Again, it was probably 120 outside. Yeah. More marketing stuff. Yeah. Brenda posing like a big star. <laughs> Loved it. It was... Life-changing. Uh, and and Jim and Elena have been with me from that moment on, and that's when I started BRC Theater Group. Mm-hmm. And essentially, I started writing plays, some based on my life situations, some comedies, some just based on just these wild ideas that I would get. But I would write based upon people's personalities. So I put pops <laughs> In every play yeah. that I wrote, and he was basically playing himself. I love that. And Jim and Elena would come, and they would take pictures and create videos. And then one day, I got this idea of, I have no experience, but I want to film a movie. <laughs> and, and I went to Jim and Elena, and I said, That's right. I told I, that yes. I want you guys to film this movie. And they were like, we've never filmed a movie before. Like, and we'll, we have no and ex- we'll figure it out. Yeah. We have no experience. And I was like, but I believe in you, and I know that we can. Three times oh you came gosh. over to convince us. And we did it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. You and did it. 
It was and the awesome. pay that I had to give them was terrible, but um, <laughs> we did it. It took a long time, and and they edited it. And I'm going to tell you, yes, I look back on it now, and it was an amazing experience. Like I still laugh when I hear the air conditioning kick on in one of those scenes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but. We got over 54,000 yes. views yes. for that yeah. movie, yes. and we have no experience, I know. none and whatsoever. And it was so good. <laughs> I mean, I still watch it every now and then, but it was, oh my gosh. <laughs> Church People's The Movie. Yeah. Dr. Brenda Combs on YouTube. Check it out. Yes. <laughs> it's so good. It, and I love Pops. Gosh, he was such a character. We miss him. We miss him so much. Yeah. yeah, he was. He became a grandfather to the boys, and uh, he loved me so much. I mean, and I was not his blood daughter, but you would never know it. Without my knowing it, he showed up at the house one day with a will and he made me his, he gave me power of attorney for medical and he had purchased this little burial policy and I had no idea that he had cancer. But he loved me and and he trusted that I was going to do what he wanted to be done. And I'm telling you, there was no bigger Cardinals fan <laughs> than Pops. Yeah. And he put it in writing that when the Lord decided to take him home, he had to be buried in his Larry Fitzgerald jersey with his Cardinals blanket wrapped around his coffin. And he was a veteran. He didn't want the flag. He didn't want the military <laughs> service. He wanted the Cardinals and he wanted us all to wear red. And so when we found out he was sick, it was during COVID. And it was such a difficult time because I couldn't see him. The boys couldn't see him. We could only do video calls with him. When the doctors, and he had told me and he told the doctors, you be strong for my daughter because it'll be hard for her. But if I'm not able to communicate, then you have to tell her she has to let me go. So when the doctors called me and said, you need to come up here, they took me through the COVID tent and got me all in the um, medical suit and the um, mask. And I called all of his natural children and FaceTimed them so they could say goodbye. And then I called all of my boys so that they could say goodbye. They took the plugs out, and he opened his eyes, and him and I had that eye-to-eye -eye contact. And he had a tear rolling down his face, and I said, okay, Pops, I'm going to be strong for you, and I, and I got this, and I'll see you on the other side. And at his service, we all of us wore red and wore the cardinals, and we celebrated his life, and um, I still have his uh, cardinals, some of his cardinals stuff still at the house. And every play that we do, I take his outfit um, from the last play that he was in, and we set it up on a chair to memorialize yes. him. And Elena always takes a picture of where Pops would be sitting. He loved me when I was homeless, because the first time he met me, he said, what are you doing down here? You don't belong down here. You you speak too intelligent. You're you're a misfit. And I was like, oh God. Is that that I, obvious? I, I'm a misfit even here. <laughs> um and then with Jim and Elena, I love them so much. And I mean, I literally will call and say, Hey, 
what does your schedule look like? Can you do this or can you do that? And most of the time they can do it. And when they can't, they can't. And so I finally said, you know, hey, you don't have a logo. Mm -hmm. You don't have a QR code. Mm -hmm. Let me... Okay, I'm, and you were like, oh, no, because, like, Elena's so modest, like, you know, <laughs> well, what do you charge? Because people will call me saying, well, I want to, you know, I want the Jim and Elena rate, and I'll tell them, well, this is their rate, because, no, they're, because they're too nice <laughs> to charge people. So I help them with their yes, logo and their QR code, because I was like, no, you got to. Yep, always elevating us, <laughs> always, yeah. you know, yeah. making sure that we're validated, that we, she really I just I need to she represent. does it for everyone. But I need to represent you then. <laughs> right, right. I think so. Do you have bandwidth Love for that? Yeah. <laughs> Ladies, I... Yeah, I'm, we could talk forever. We could, but, and right. we're at the top of the hour. I'm, <laughs> I am inspired. Obviously, I really appreciate you coming and spending time with us today, and bringing your partner <laughs> and uh, Elaine at your suggestion, uh, giving us the opportunity to share the story. No brainer, right? <laughs> complete, complete no brainer. And and here's what's neat for me, and I'm guessing our viewers and listeners are somewhere thinking to themselves as well, like when. I have some areas in my life that I'm struggling on. I feel defeated frequently, and I've had it pretty easy <laughs> in comparison, right? I try not to compare. Most of the time, I'm comparing how hard it is for me compared to people who've got it made, right, which is ridiculous. It, that sets us up for from some even more challenges. Um, you've given me great inspiration today. And, uh, and the listeners. And, and our, I have no doubt yeah. that our listeners and yeah, viewers are, sure. are inspired as well. Tell us again where we can watch the documentary, the video, or the, excuse me, the movie. Movie. It's on, go ahead. The movie's on YouTube. It's called Church People's The Movie. Church People's The Movie. Yeah. And then there's uh, many, many clips of me speaking on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn, mm -hmm. uh, on the Brenda Combs website. Brenda and Combs. On, and on Brenda YouTube, Combs. Dr. Brenda Combs. Yes, yeah, so I have a YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. um, every Sunday, I have a video that comes out, Successful Sunday. It's just a little inspirational one to two minute video of me just inspiring people that, you know, if you believe in yourself and your ability to do your best, you're intelligent and everyone's capable of achieving greatness. I feel the key is, is learning how to love yourself, believe in yourself, never give up. And then the most powerful tool that we hold is the power of forgiveness. Because yeah, once definitely. you understand forgiveness and you can forgive yourself, you can forgive others. And when you can forgive others, you can love others. And love is the answer to everything. Yes. Mm -hmm. So when you get those things down, that's the answer to everything. That's the answer to ending homelessness. That's the answer to ending war, hunger, depression. Love is the answer. But you have to understand those things, and it has to start with you forgiving yourself, loving yourself, never giving up, and practicing forgiveness. I believe that that's the key. Yeah, definitely. And don't forget the book. Yes. Oh, so then I, my students uh, inspired me to share my story. Um, and so I wrote my story called Finding My Shoes, and it became a bestseller on Amazon. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Target. It's available in uh, paperback. Kindle. Kindle. Um, and I share my story all around the world because I honestly feel like everyone has a story. 
And it doesn't have to be as traumatic as mine, but everyone has a story. And I firmly believe that if I can go from overcoming 10 years of homelessness, addiction, abuse, self-sabotage, to becoming Dr. Brenda Combs, ambassador of inspiration, then everyone can make their goals and dreams become a reality. Absolutely. I mean, and the next play is October? October 28th. So we, my my theater group is BRC Theater Group. Everything is BRC. BRC Media Group, BRC Publishing, BRC Theater Group. Uh, We are doing a play, an anti-bullying play called Friends Aren't Bullies. The girl that gets bullied in the play is me when I was a little girl. But it's a play with um, mostly high school students and two adults, and it is going to be performed at Phoenix Center for the Arts, October 28th, 7 p.m. And Phoenix Center for the Arts, we have our residency for my theater group for this theater season. And uh, Jim and Elena are, are, of course, resident photographer, videographer. We have a we have a full team of people who are doing community theater yeah. who believe in me mm-hmm. and believe in the mission of providing good entertainment that also most of my plays either have a Lessons. life lesson mm-hmm. um, or we do some funny ones like some murder Comedy, mystery. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at the end of every play, I share um, part of my story and I encourage people to love mm-hmm. and to never give up and to practice forgiveness. And then I usually end with the song and and then Great invite singer. people to go out. I know, I was joking about karaoke <laughs> close and telling She's, you to sing her here. And Sandra's <laughs> nodding her head like, yeah, she can She's sing. Yeah. And and as you're as you're wrapping up and you're explaining what you're doing in the arts and how you're showing up as a teacher in so many ways, I keep going back in my mind to that kindergarten student, mm-hmm. that little you who was bullied. Was bullied. Yeah. And decided in that moment, based on your surroundings and and really the lack of respect and compassion Mm -hmm. that you experienced and decide that you were a misfit. Well, thank goodness. Thank God. Right. (laughs) Yeah. You know, oftentimes people will say, if you could change anything, what would you change? And I thought about that for a long time. And I got to be truthful. No one wants to be raped Mm -hmm. and beaten and robbed and sold and prostituted. No, no one wants to be that. No one wants to live underneath a bridge. No one wants to be hungry. No one wants to feel less than. But I also know that if I didn't go through those experiences and if I changed one thing, Mm -hmm. I firmly believe it would have changed the trajectory of my future and my life. So even though, no, they were not happy experiences, I needed them because I also realized that the man upstairs knew that I was the person who was destined for this particular role and that I could carry that torch to let other people know that not only can you survive, but you can thrive and be happy. I just turned 61 in August, and I feel like I am in the prime Mm -hmm. of my life. I feel happier than I've ever been. All of my boys are doing well. Michael is playing basketball on a basketball scholarship. Mm -hmm. Uh, Three of the boys that we took in are in school playing basketball. One works for Wells Fargo. Fraul, uh, one of the youngest sons, works for me. He has worked with Jim and Elena. and So talented. He's Brilliant. such a mm-hmm. beautiful young man. Mm-hmm. And then the youngest son that we took in 
was lost for three years. He was in Africa. I didn't know if he was dead or alive. And I got blessed on my birthday to receive a phone call that he was alive and well. Just, I... Yeah, I, I feel crazy very, that it was on her on birthday. On my birthday. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, absolutely perfect. So, do you want me to end with a song? Oh my gosh, would you please? Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I would love that. Okay. Yes. So, I have, I have to throw this disclaimer out. I do not own the rights to this song, so it's okay. not one of my own. I do have uh, a theme song. song. Yeah, I have a friend who wrote a theme song that I use as I enter the stage for all of my speaking engagements. But this is a song that I've been singing to my students when I taught Mm -hmm. K through 12, when I was an instructor at Grand Canyon University and with my boys. And it's one of my favorite songs from Sister Act because it speaks to making your goals and dreams come true. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. The time is now or never to make your dreams come true. You better wake up and pay attention. If you want to be somebody, if you want to go somewhere, you better wake up and pay attention. The time is now or never to make your dreams come true. You better wake up and pay attention. The time is now to make your dreams come true, and you already have what it takes. So believe in yourself, never give up, and practice forgiveness. Thank Amen. You. <laughs> thank you. Thank I think you, I caught the you. spirit. <laughs> oh, that was amazing. Thank you. Thank As you. always. Thank you. And thank you so much for this. This platform was just, it's amazing. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. I have no words. <laughs> so with that. Usually people are crying or they're yeah. speechless, so. Yeah, and I, I'm going to have Jesse clip that song out for me so that I can play that every morning and every night. It's so needed right now in this world, for me, my world specifically, Yeah, but for all of us. So thank you, all three of you, for blessing our day, thank our you week, for having our month, us. our year. Mm-hmm.